Welcome to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariashin. Thank you for tuning in today. Amanda Berman is the founder and executive director of the Zionist Movement, a new initiative empowering and activating Zionists on the progressive left to stand proudly in social justice spaces as Jews and as Zionists. Until she recently made the transition to focusing exclusively on building the much-needed Zionist community, Berman was also a civil rights attorney fighting anti-Semitism legally, spearheading such groundbreaking initiatives as the International Action Against Kuwait Airways for its discrimination against Israeli nationals, and the dual cases against San Francisco State University for its constitutional and civil rights violations against Jewish and Israeli students and community members. Berman writes on Jewish and civil rights issues and is a media contributor across various mediums and outlets. She's spoken and presented before diverse audiences, including Hadassah, JNF, B'nai B'rith, Jewish Federation, APAC, JCRC, Hillel, and many others. She's a graduate of the Anti-Defamation League's Glass Leadership Institute, the recipient of Hadassah's prestigious Myrtle Wreath Award, and was listed by the Algeminer as one of the top 100 people positively contributing to Jewish life in 2018. She previously served for five years as an executive board member at Friends of the IDF, Young Leadership New York. Berman spoke at our leadership forum celebrating our 175th anniversary last year in New York. Today, we'll be discussing the work of Zioness in a time when the political environment is becoming increasingly hostile to the Jewish state. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here. Well, I think we should dive right in. Can you be progressive and a Zionist at the same time? Of course, and the vast majority of American Jews are. And what, what kind of uh, uh, enthusiasm are you uh, creating uh, by saying that you can be progressive and a Zionist? It's honestly amazing. I don't know that we're creating the enthusiasm, but we're harnessing it. It was there. This is where people, um, where people's ideologies align. The American Jewish community is overwhelmingly committed to the political left, to the advancement of social justice, um, to progress for all of the different issues that we care about. And we are also Zionists. Polls will tell you, Mark Melman will tell you, uh, you know, a very prolific pollster will tell you that um, American Jews are fervently committed to a safe and secure Jewish state. Of course, many American Jews have criticism of the politics and policies of Israel. That's completely fine. But we believe as Jews, as an inherent part of our identity as Jews, that there should be a Jewish homeland where we can self-determine um, and, and, and have sovereignty. So the fact that there really didn't seem to be a community for all of the people like me who wanted to be vocal in our domestic progressive spaces about our support for a Jewish homeland um, the fact that that didn't seem to exist before Zioness was really a problem, and I feel like members of our community were feeling increasingly isolated from the political spaces that they cared about. They didn't want to check any piece of their identity at the door when they engaged. And now that we exist, it's like there's a, a homecoming for people. So it's not, we're not creating the enthusiasm, but we're giving people who feel that enthusiasm an activist home, and it's really amazing to witness. You know, for those of us who've worked for many years uh, uh, on behalf of uh, a safe and secure Israel, to see Zionism marginalized 
some 45 years after the Zionism equals racism resolution uh, is, uh, is concerning, deeply concerning. Why do you think that Zionists are, are being marginalized in this era? I think there are a lot of different factors that are contributing to it. Um, I think especially in this moment, anyone who's sort of watching the political climate in D.C. and, and also really across the country more locally, there is a weaponization of, of anti-Semitism and of support for Israel that is becoming a major political force in terms of this litmus test that I mentioned, where progressive credibility is often um, connected to one's willingness to bash Israel. And I think a large part of it comes from power dynamics, um, the question of who has power, who wants power, who is marginalized. And we know that there are communities um, in the U.S. And, and really around the world who lack power, institutional power. And so the Jewish community has been sort of painted as a white privileged community by those on the left, people who say Jews are not welcome to be part of our domestic you know, activist communities. There's this whole intersectionality framework that I think we'll probably get into later. And that is marginalizing Jews um, who believe that Israel should exist and, and Jews in general. And then at the same time on the right, there's a weaponization of anti-Semitism by people who say, if you love Israel, you must move to the right. And it has become a really impossible dynamic to navigate for American Jews because Israel is seen in this in this paradigm as the white, powerful, privileged nation in the Middle East that is oppressing people of color. And as you know, as an activist for the Zionist cause for such a long time as a leader in the Jewish community, you know that's not the real Israel. The diversity of Israel is unparalleled. But that's not the narrative that exists in a lot of places here. I think a lot of it is ignorance. I think a lot of it is anti-Semitism. A lot of it is this power dynamic and the way that, that it's playing out in our, our political sphere here at home. And a lot of it is uh, the Jewish commitment to self-determined, uh, I'm sorry, to, uh, to progressive activism for other communities, our commitment to tikkun olam, which makes us care very deeply about supporting other communities, often at the expense of our own community. So that's been a challenge and something that Zionist is really working to address to say, we are absolutely committed to the advancement of other marginalized groups. We will continue to be active in all of those spaces, but we are not willing to be ashamed of who we are or what Zionism means to us. And we are not willing to allow others to own Zionism or to pervert the term. We're gonna be proud of it and we're gonna own it and we're gonna remind people what Israel is as, um, you know, as a homeland for the world's most enduring persecuted community. And we're going to have that conversation while we fight for the civil rights of other communities. Well, Israel has a great story in, in many different ways in terms of uh, being a, a welcoming country. It has taken in people from all over the world. Uh, there's been, um, uh, it's a tremendous story in terms of startup nation. Uh, so many, there are so many different aspects to Israel's story that one would think that that would resonate with people on the progressive left. Why is there this, this inability or this unwillingness to ingest those positive points about the state of Israel? It's, I think, again, it goes to those power dynamics. And um, there's been a relationship that has been sort of exploited between the, it, between communities of color, perceived communities of color, and, and the perception that the Jewish community does not have members who are people of color. 
Um, I'm sure you've heard about the Deadly Exchange Campaign, which is this JVP initiative uh, which ties police brutality in America to um, counter-terror training between Israeli police and military and American police and military. Unfortunately, as we know, Israel is a world leader in fighting terrorism. Um, because of the terrorism that it is exposed to every day. And so that training, Israeli police and military training, American police and military, how to fight terrorism or how to be alert to uh, potential threats of terrorism, has been exploited by anti-Semites, frankly, who claim that that training is, uh, is resulting in the death of young black men in America. And it is horrifying. And if you don't know enough to counter that narrative, of course you see Israel as a horrible place where you know, police officers are trained to, to kill people of color. That's the narrative that is existing that is very deep in a lot of these progressive spaces. And again, I think a lot of it is anti-Semitism because I think that there are anti-Semites who are weaponizing this conversation and, and inserting it into social justice spaces that they are exploiting to demonize Israel and the Jewish community. But that's that's a small part of what's happening. I think beyond that, it's a lot of people not knowing our story. Our numbers are small. The Jewish community is very small. And again, because we are so committed to the advancement of other communities, we're not in those spaces talking about ourselves and our story and Israel's story and, and what it means to us. So it's very easy for this wave of people who are coming and telling an alternate story to have an audience. Now, Zionist doesn't aim to talk about our story or the history of Israel, but we do aim to explain what Zionism means as a part of the Jewish identity, an inherent piece of what it means to be a Jew, to believe in Jewish liberation and self-determination. Well, it's extremely important. You know, I, I grew up in uh, New England in a, in a town that had very few Jewish families, so there were no Jewish organizations to join. There was a synagogue, but the, that was it. Um, and my parents were, were Zionists, but they were Zionists, you know, without any kind of ideological orientation. I mean, for them, it was Israel. It was love of Israel. It was, it, it was our history. Um, and uh, to see uh, this kind of uh, buffeting uh, that Israel gets uh, from uh, people who either are out there intentionally uh, working to delegitimize and defame and demean Israel um, from, a, from a political perspective, um, or those who simply um, are parroting uh, what those others say uh, out of out of ignorance or unfamiliarity um, is, uh, is is really quite concerning. Now you mentioned intersectionality, and maybe you should define it. Um, I say it's like uh, you have to check all the boxes uh, politically, and if you if you have ten boxes, and I agree with you on nine of them, but if I disagree with you on the tenth. Uh, then I'm uh, subject to opprobrium from, uh, from, from the other side. Uh, how do you define it, and how does Israel get inserted into so many causes that really have nothing to do with Israel? Yeah, it's a really important, it's a really important question and, and issue facing our community. Intersectionality is really nothing more than a framework. It has been, frankly, demonized by our community, and I understand why by the Jewish community. I understand that um, the way that the intersectional framework is being applied, the lens through which a lot of the progressive left sees um, and, and acts in progressive spaces is defined by their interpretation of intersectionality. But what it actually is, is really just an understanding of the ways that different layers of oppression intersect. 
And it was conceived um, by an academic who was a black woman, is a, remains a black woman. And she was just aiming to talk about how she can't fight feminism the same way that a white woman can fight feminism because as a black woman, she faces different challenges than white women. And that makes sense to me as a feminist. That is something I, that resonates with me, that there are different challenges. When you look at the way the feminist movement operates and the challenges that women across America face, and I mean, even just taking the pay gap for one, I don't know exactly what the, what the pay gap is, so I'm not using actual numbers, but it is something like, this is a, a real ballpark, but if a woman makes 90 cents to the dollar that a man makes, and a black woman makes 80 cents to the dollar, and a Latina woman makes 70 cents to the dollar, and a native woman makes 60 cents to the dollar. Those are challenges that um, that different categories of women, different marginalized groups of women are facing, uh, they're facing a different challenge, it's a different battle. So we can't only fight the quote unquote women's agenda, we can't fight the pay gap by only looking at the challenges of white women, because that's not gonna address the challenge of all, of all the other women. And that's really what intersectionality is. It is to be able to understand and take con and, and take stock in the challenges that all of the different categories of people um, are facing and how it's a different fight. And we, and we need to, we need to go, it's, it's very difficult to explain, but we need to go, we need to look at the native woman who I believe is making the least amount as compared to Matt to to men, and we need to fight for her because then it will uplift all of the women who are making more than she is. And if we're not doing that, then we're not really fighting the feminist cause. Okay, so here we are. Israel is in the Middle East. It's in a tough neighborhood. Uh, the Iranians are are backing uh, the Hezbollah with and sending. Uh, thousands of, of rockets to Hezbollah and to Hamas. Um, they're in Syria. They're on Israel's border. Uh, there are problems in North Africa. Uh, there's the Palestinian issue. So how, how does, does Israel get inserted into, um, into these other kinds of, of issues? I mean, it's, it, it's, it seems um, from, if you came from Mars, I guess, you would say, how alien can that be? So how does yeah. how does that work? It's a the conversation is as I mentioned before it's it's all one about power. And the intersectional framework is about different power dynamics and the fact that even if women are making less than men, white women still have much more power than native women or black women or or even latina women. So it's the intersectional framework is is a, a concept of power. And so Israel is seen as being a very powerful nation, as a Western nation in the Middle East. And the Palestinians are seen as the most oppressed by this very powerful, perceived as white nation of Israel, but, you know, full of Jews who people believe are white. So it makes sense if, you, if you're looking at it through the lens of the people who really want to stand up for all of the marginalized communities they see the Palestinians as a community of color being oppressed by white people. And they also see this as a colonialist regime. They see Israel as being an outpost of America in the Middle East. And they see America as being overwhelmingly dominated by white culture um, and fear of the other and xenophobia, which I actually think is a, a rational belief in today's America when we look at what's happening in Washington, D.C. 
So if you don't know about the history of Israel, if you don't know about the exodus of the Mizrahim from the Middle East and North Africa, if you don't know about uh, all of the refugees from all over the world who now live in Israel, I think about 60% of them who are communities of color, members of communities of color, people are not aware of this. People think of Israel as a European colonialist, American-supported, dominant, Western, powerful nation that is oppressing their um, Muslim and Arab neighbors. And it's a very difficult narrative to overcome, especially when we, American Jews, feel ashamed of owning our narrative and owning Zionism and talking about it as a liberation movement for an oppressed people, which does resonate with the left, which, which people really can understand when it's explained to them by people who they see as allies, who they recognize as sharing in their value systems. And that's why Zioness is so important, because we are activating people who care about all of the same issues, all of the same domestic movements and the advancement of those movements as the people who are perpetuating a narrative that I truly don't think a lot of them understand. Of course, there are people who do understand it, who are acting perniciously um, in a way to, to truly harm the Jewish people and the Jewish state. But I think a lot of people are, as you mentioned, regurgitating what they're told and not doing the research to really understand So where, where are the opportunities for Zioness and, and for you personally to push back on, on this narrative, which, um, you know, it, it's frightening, frankly, to hear it, um, knowing what, from its very birth, what Israel has experienced um, in, its, in its own neighborhood, uh, what it has experienced at the United Nations, what it's experienced uh, in other multilateral fora, um, going through the, the Cold War and the difficulties that that presented, and, and then now in, in, in another era. So where do you find the opportunities to answer these charges and to push back? There are opportunities everywhere. I mean, our community is a very activist community. These are people, you know, we pray with our feet, as Rabbi Heschel would say. We show up places, we fight for social justice. We always have, we have led as at the forefront of every domestic progressive movement since its inception. And we haven't had a place, a natural political home in a long time because before Zionist existed, I really think there was sort of a gaping, a, a gaping hole in our sort of institutional community. And so now that we exist and we have 31 chapters across the country, and this has just been such an organic growth process of people reaching out and saying, Zionist represents me. It represents all of my ideological views. I'm a progressive, I'm a liberal, I'm committed to all of these progressive causes. I'm also committed to Israel and I see Zionism as the original progressive movement. And I wanna be out there in the world being active um, and activating others for all of these issues that I care about. And when we are engaged under the Zionist umbrella, there is an immediate and automatic perception shift about Zionism that can't be accomplished in any other way. So I said there was a void. It wasn't a void in, in Jewish activist spaces. We all know there are many Jewish activist organizations, but they weren't activists for Zionism. It was Jews who care, you know, people who I adore, who are doing amazing domestic work, but because they didn't want to offend people, by standing up for Zionism, by standing up for their own narrative. They were willing to check Zionism at the door or they were willing to subject to a litmus test, frankly, on 
uh, on, on support for Israel as a, a test of their progressive credibility. So a lot of people were showing up in progressive spaces and the question is being posed, oh, you're Jewish, but what do you think about settlement policy? And people, because they wanna feel welcome and they wanna be seen as an ally, and they know they're supposed to answer that question by saying settlements are the obstacle to peace. That's sort of, you know, that that's the golden ticket. You know that you have the progressive credibility if you're willing to say that it is Israel's fault that there is not a Palestinian state. And that was a major problem. And until we started showing up and saying, we are Zionists, we are Zionists because we are committed to the advancement of our own community, our own liberation and self-determination, and we do not have to pass a litmus test on the contemporary politics of the Jewish state in order to be American progressive activists. The opportunities from there are limitless, because when we are showing up in the spaces that we care about and we are doing it as proud members of the Jewish and Zionist communities, we are able to build relationships with people who understand the relationship between uh, Judaism and Zionism, and who understand that you cannot divorce Zionism from the Jewish identity. You cannot attack Zionists without attacking Jews. And that in itself is an empowering way for our community to do the work, the domestic work that we care about, and also to reclaim our own story. Do you um, take advantage of, uh, many organizations do it, we, we do as well, take, uh, uh, invite um, people from outside our community to visit Israel and to experience it? I'm sure many of them for the first time. Are you, are you engaged in that kind of activity? We are doing lots of that. Um, it does take time and, and the relationship building is one of our most important initiatives. Um, as you may know, I am the only full-time staff person right now for Zioness, and we are actively working to hire more staff, and one of them will be a partnerships director who's going to be working um, to make sure that we are building relationships with other communities and that this is a two-way street. We really need to understand as a Jewish community that people are not going to stand with us if we're not standing with them. And we can't expect people to understand our narrative until we're holding hands with them and advancing their narrative while we ask them to advance ours. So that that partnership work is so important. And there is so much work for us as activists, as progressives to do here in America. And the more work that we do, the more relationships we build and the more we're able to reach out um, and grow those relationships, you know, outside of the Jewish community. It's critical work. Well, certainly... There's no shortage of challenges out there, and uh, Zionists uh, clearly is uh, filling a, a, a void. And uh, Amanda, really, we wish you uh, the very best and much success in, in your work in um, telling that story uh, and in um, conveying uh, exactly what Zionism and what Israel um, historically and what it means today and in the future uh, to um, to the, the critics uh, out there who... Um, uh, until now, uh, don't, not only don't want to listen, uh, but are doing their best to, uh, to undermine uh, Israel and its relationship with the United States. So we, we really wish you the best, and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast today. Please visit our website, benebrit.org, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, subscribe on your smartphone through the podcast app, for iPhone or through Google Play for Android. And lastly, tell a friend about us. 
For my guest, Amanda Berman, I'm Dan Mariashin. We'll talk to you next time on the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. <laughs>